1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Tonight we are going to finish up a 12-message series on some basic Bible truths that we have been sharing. We have, this is the 12th message, and there are many more things. It's, there are endless subjects that we can share when we think of our basic Bible truths. And maybe we'll pick them up again in the future and continue on. But for now, uh, Lord willing, th this is going to be the last one. And in the near future, we will probably enter into a study of Ephesians. That, that's a study that could take up to a year, uh, possibly. Um, very rich book. I've, I've had the privilege of teaching and studying all of Paul's epistles and teaching some of them even twice, but, but never Ephesians yet. So I've preached probably the whole book in different sermons, but not all the way through. So I'm excited and looking forward to that. So tonight, our last lesson, we have shared our assurance of salvation in these basic Bible truths. We have shared our security that we have as believers a backslider returning to the will of God. We talked about fellowship and what true fellowship is. We shared triumphing over temptation in our lives, being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And then the fact that God works all things out for good. We use Romans 8.28 to talk about whether things are good or bad in this life, a good thing for a young believer to know is that God is always working for our good and he's always doing good no matter what's happening in our lives. Then we talked about three lives to live. There's the, there's the natural, there's the spiritual, and there's the carnal. And a couple of weeks ago, we shared the will of God. Last week, we had a question, where is God? He's resides within the believer. His address on earth is within us. And tonight we will share questionable things. Man, we have a hard lesson tonight. It's, you know, and I'll admit I've preached on this subject before and and we're always convicted. We always uh, look to be ministered to by the word before we share it. I need it just as much as you need it. And um, I, I just think at this time, I just, in my studies, it, I just had such a focus on myself in this. And so we're going to close with questionable things tonight. And I'm talking about, you know, over and over the question of, of these things that are right and these things that are wrong. Uh, what is right? What is wrong? It, what is the what's the deal with some of these so-called questionable things among Christians? I'm guilty of wasting a whole lot of time and effort and energy on a lot of these things, as well as a lot of Christians can be. And, you know, and there's there's opinions that fly and argue and debate. You know what? We can go to the word of God for some clear answers on this tonight. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 6.12, where Paul writes, and he says, All things are lawful unto me, 
but all things are not expedient. Let's just get started with the first half of that verse. As we decide what to do, deciding what to do about these so-called questionable things as a child of God, what decision do we make on on what is right and what is wrong? Well, you know the, the first quick obvious answer to that. You go to the Bible. You go to the Word of God to see what the Word of God says about these things. Uh, you go to the Bible, and we don't just go to the Bible for these things. We go to the Bible, and we have to go to it with an open mind. We can't go to the Bible with a desire to look for the answer we want to this so-called questionable thing as to whether it's right or wrong. We're going to be blinded by the truth, blinded from the truth, and we're not going to get to it as we should if we're not sincere before God and wanting to know what God says about these things. There's a lot of things that people in Christianity call questionable when they are actually right there in the Word of God. God has spoken things very clearly to us, and we have a whole lot of these answers that we need simply by the Bible. And we'll get them if we honestly want to know what God has to say about it. If we're looking to have something to say something to meet our desire or cater to us, there's going to be a little bit of a tweaking of the precepts and the principles or a parable to want it to say what we want it to say. But God has a clear answer. And if God has spoken directly on the matter, look, when God says it, that settles it. And for eternity, for all time, for all eras, for all ages we come into, God's word is timeless and it is eternal. And he's not changing his view. We have many, many moral absolutes in the Bible, more than the average person thinks. Some people think there are more questionable things than what there really are. But unfortunately, many people don't go to the revelation of God for the answer to these things. There are so many people today who are hung up on relativism. In other words, if they think, if an individual thinks something is okay, it's okay to them. Or if there's a certain people group that thinks this is okay, it's okay. It's kind of like, you know, I'm sure you wouldn't have to look far to find somebody that would think if you are really hungry... If you are starving, it is okay to steal food. Look, if somebody believes that, they think it's okay. And they think that somebody can go in the store and grab a rack of ribs and put it underneath their coat and walk out like their stomach's hurting. I've actually seen that before. And, but, but in relativism, people become their own gods and they think that that is okay to do that if someone is actually starving. Now, let's take some more serious matters, you know, whether it be the idea of relationships and, and marriage and, and divorce and, and, and the, the, the type of conditions of relationships. People come up with their own things. We're married in the eyes of God or, or things like that that is completely against Scripture. But that's what relativism does. 
people just make up what they want. And it's supposedly truth to them that love makes the rule for that subject. Well, love is in the rule, but God has some commitments in that rule as well. And so we need to go to God's word for these answers. Just because a sin becomes popular today and spread worldwide and everyone's doing it, that doesn't mean that it's okay because we have God's eternal revelation. Relativity is not going to work because God's revelation is eternal. And we have many things clearly given to us in the word of God as absolutes on what's right and wrong. But you might say, what about those things that are not exactly stated in the word of God? It does not say you can't do this. It does not say you are to do this. It does. I mean, we need to meet people right where they are because I've had people engage me and say, show me that in the Bible. First little short answer, let me say that that the Bible has direct things that are said and it covers things indirectly. Think about all the laws of the Old Testament and you will find that all of them fall under the Ten Commandments in some way. They just disperse out like that. And so for the the moral things we have in God's Word, you will you will have an answer underneath those things that that will cover that. But To meet someone right where they are, what if it does not say this? Man, think about that attitude for a minute. Let me tell you about a a football game I recently read about. It was over a hundred years ago, and this team had footballs in patches sewn on their shirt. It was life-size, just like the football they were going to play with. Every player on the team had a patch of a football about the same color on their jersey. So can you imagine the offense when they go out to play and everyone's doing this with their shirt? Guess what? They won the game. And guess what? There was nothing in the rule book that said you cannot sew a life-size football patch on your jersey before you play the game. So it's okay, huh? That's the mentality that a lot of people take with things that are not directly stated in the Bible. How do we decide to do what to do? Well, we look in the Bible, but we also consider if we don't see that exact thing, Is this beneficial? Is this beneficial for our lives? Does this questionable thing benefit me? Is it profitable? Is it advantageous? I mean, in a righteous way, in a good way to all. Is this something that will lead me toward Jesus to be more near to Jesus? Or will it lead me away? When we ask Jesus Christ... Jesus, what do you think about this? Will this draw me more near to you? First of all, when we're asking that question sincerely, praise God for that. And we're going to be led to a right decision if that is our heart about the matter. We need to to seek him. We will receive the right help 
for the right decision. Look, we're either doing as Paul and we're pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, or we are pressing away. There are things that are even not sinful that in and of themselves and they're fine. But if these are things that could create a habit, we could get caught in a habit and overwhelmed with our time in a habit that crowds Christ out. This unsinful thing at that point becomes wrong. So these are some considerations for us as we decide what to do. But also, I would like to talk to you tonight about the power to not do. And we see that in the end of verse 12, the power to not do. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. To be brought under the power of means to become a slave to. When we were unsaved, we were enslaved. I like to go back there every now and then. We need to remember where we came from. And, and we came from being dead in our sins. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this very well. We were dead in sins and trespasses. We walked according to this world. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience. We had our times passed in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. In Romans chapter 5, I love those first five verses. But then after that, I've got some words underlined in my Bible, words such as sinner, words such as ungodly, phrases such as without strength enemies we were enslaved before we were saved but now now we've been quickened we have been made alive unto God in the Lord Jesus Christ we have been delivered from the penalty of sin and we are being delivered from the power of sin in our lives the devil no longer has his reign on us he no longer has his foot on our head he no longer has power over us that power has been broken by Jesus Christ and we are his now we no longer have to be slaves to sin Jesus says if the son therefore shall make you free you shall be free indeed and praise God we have been freed from the bondage and the chains of those old desires that would just consume us and take us over I'll never forget a job that I took one time I was unsaved I couldn't call on the Lord I couldn't cry to the Lord. I actually sat by myself. I've never admitted, I've never even told Shelly this. I actually sat by myself and I cried over this because I was so bound in my desire for a few things about this job and leaving my old job. I knew it was a mistake. I knew it was wrong for me to do it, but I was so bound up in a few things that I was just 
handcuffed and taken away and it was wrong and after six months I just reversed everything and went back to where I was before I was so bound in my desires I was so overruled by my desires but that doesn't have to happen anymore now that we're in Jesus Christ there's someone new that reigns in our heart and our lives and he wants the very best for us and we don't have to just blindly make our own decision we can go to him praise God we're not bound to Son has set us free. We are not uh, bound by sin's control any longer. So we can be encouraged tonight that we can search our hearts. And as we search our hearts, if we find that there is some habit that is hindering us, if there is some hang up in our lives, and it's not good. It's causing us problems. And we've started getting in, into a rut into it. We can be encouraged knowing that when we go to Jesus. And we're honest before him about this condition. And we're, we're pleading with him. We want him to help us for this to be gone from our lives. Whatever it is. Look, there's the power to do it in your relationship with Jesus. We have a power not to do. There are so many things before I was saved that I think of that I wish I hadn't have done. But I was actually just acting normal. I was a, I was a sinner lost in my sins and just doing these things but there is a power now in Jesus Christ a power not to do we think about everything we can do in Christ well there's a power not to do some things anymore Paul says I will not be brought under the power of any whether it's something sinful whether it's something that's not sinful but if it's something that is that is causing problems if it's something that's a hindrance I'm going to be able to in Christ Stay away from it and break those chains. A power not to do it. Man, this subject, this subject of questionable things, it goes on for several chapters here in 1 Corinthians. It is something very important to Paul that he is wanting to get to the bottom of for this church at Corinth. So I'm going to invite you to turn over... Uh, Two chapters to chapter 8 as we continue this. And we're going to see an advising of what we should do. Chapter 8, verse 8 through 13. And this is the portion of uh, this book where Paul is talking about the meat that is offered to idols. Uh, and, and, and some people partaking of it and others not and different opinions on it. So as we read, Paul writes to the Corinth and says, But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge set at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ." Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth 
lest I make my brother to offend. Man, that, that just, this subject, it, it, it's hard when we're, really, when we're really seeing what's going on here and what we're to do about self and others. It becomes a very convicting thing. Let us consider this city of Corinth for just a minute. Consider the wickedness of this society that God sent Paul to that people might be saved. And they were. And a church started. But there was a lot of idol worship that went on. There was a lot of animal sacrifice and false worship to false gods that took place. You understand? And, and so the... The idol worshipers would offer this animal and then they would take the meat from the animal and they would go to the shambles or that's the marketplace and they would take it to the butcher and they would sell it to the butcher. Uh, people don't give cheerfully in uh, in false religions, you understand? So they were looking to have their their money for whatever they needed to do. So they would sell the meat to the butcher and the butcher would prepare it in such a way that he he would sell it to the public. And so he would put that meat out there offered to idols. And he would put it beside, beside meat that wasn't offered to idols. You understand? And, and so the meat that was offered to idols, it was cheaper. You, it was perfectly good meat. And you could buy it at a cheaper pot price. It was more expensive to get the meat that wasn't offered to idols. As I think about myself, and, and if I was myself in that day and time, I would be going for the better price meat. I, I know I would be, you know, but, the, but it's just not that simple is what we find out. It, a problem started to rise uh, among the Christians in Corinth over this subject. I mean... God had his last apostle, the apostle Paul, to start that church for some 18 months and teaching them Christ. They had so many weighty subjects to talk about and so much growth to do. They had preachers and great preachers in the church. And, and so there was so much to do in the Lord's work. But they started bickering about this meat and different viewpoints on the pettiness of this, even though it makes for an important subject, that's one thing I see in this. There were so many more important things for them, but they were honed in on this meat and whether this meat should be eaten or not. You know, you had one side that knew that it was okay. I mean, the false gods were, were nothing and the meat was just fine to eat. You have others that were grieved and they're like man that meat is offered to devils and i think it's wrong some members in the church are eating it and i think it's wrong and and i don't think we should do that i, I think i think we need to deal with this subject and can you imagine the talk you know they already had divisions going on so you can you imagine the divisions and the talk about it you got a group of people in the church and they would be going to the marketplace to buy that meat and can you imagine them walking down the dirt road and saying can, can you believe them I mean man that so and so and so and so and that group you know they just need to quit sucking their thumb you know they need to grow up and realize duh these are not real gods these are false gods this meat is not cursed it's so it's just fine to eat it it's ridiculous I can't believe they think that way and then you have another group in the church and they're going, man, they have to be backslidden. 
There's no way. If they will go openly into that market and buy that meat, you, you know that in secret they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. They are backslidden. I mean, I mean of all the ways to save a buck, you know, they're, they're just desiring to have some silver in their pocket by, by going ahead and buying this meat offered to idols. What, what could they have been thinking? You know what? They would probably be upset if all those people were saved and there wasn't idol worship anymore. Look how the church starts talking about each other. They, if, they, if they couldn't go get their bargain meat anymore, they, they would be so disappointed even though those souls would be saved. So you have a confrontation that is going on over this. You have a church that's having problems over what they should do and what they shouldn't do. I mean, and this is a showdown and no one is backing down over this questionable subject. And of course, we understand by this that this is not just about meat. This is about Things that are indifferent. So it covers meat and it covers all the other things that people would call questionable things. So we have a very important subject matter here. And Paul has a lot to answer for. Paul needs the mastery of the mind of God to help them with this. And, and remember what we have here is... The Holy, the Holy Spirit inspired word of God. The Spirit is inspiring Paul what to say to them on this matter to help the situation. And it will help Christians everywhere because look at how many Christians are arguing over this and arguing and debating and, and just lashing out at each other over their opinions over this. So Paul is looking to help them and it's a great help to us. And what he does is he gives an advising on it. He uses this example and there is an advising on it. And I love what he says. He says, look, this meat won't make you better if you eat it. And you won't be any worse if you don't eat it. But if it harms the spiritual life of another Christian then you need to take that into consideration. This is not an absolute command, but it is an advisement that is given by the Holy Spirit concerning people who would stumble at the result of this questionable thing being done. There was a shift in the subject matter here. Because what were they thinking of? They were thinking of themselves and their silver. And I want to buy the cheaper meat. And there's nothing wrong with it. This is stupid. I can do this. And on the other end, they were just shooting out their criticism about it happening. And so the shift is away from self on these things. And the Holy Spirit gives Paul an advisement for all that the shift be on someone else, that the shift be on others, that others would be thought about in this. No one would get hurt by them eating the meat. Nothing physically would happen to them. They wouldn't be spiritually hindered of themselves. But someone else could. It would hurt others. The meat's... Nothing wrong with it. This is ridiculous. Yet, what do we have here? We have a church 
And it's causing division over this little subject. If I can take you from Corinth to Philippi for a minute. Philippi was going through a possible split at the moment that Paul wrote to them as well. They, the church was just going to split wide open. Some were all for fun and games and some for, were for the seriousness of the word of God and some were for this, some were for that. And both sides wanted to beat the other side for what they could get to go on in the church. And it was starting to split. And Paul told them, look not every man on their own things, but every man also on the things of others. The shift is away from ourselves on these questionable things and a focus on someone else. You know, anytime there's a debate, anytime there's a dilemma, anytime there's a disagreement, there's going to be a whole lot of knowledge that's put out. Knowledge to try to win the battle. And very seldom do we find love in such a situation as this. Very seldom do we see love. Yet in the first verse of this 1 Corinthians chapter 8, what it means right there is that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so the, the knowledge is what goes forth and, and it causes such debate and division, you know, and... And maybe someone with the most knowledge might win. But actually, both sides lose when there's no love in it and there's debate. When our love for others is to be our main concern. And when I say love, some people abuse and use love in the wrong way in this world. Love is not this messy, sappy, overlook everything and, and just huggy, kissy, I love you. The sacrificial love of Christ, which is within the boundaries of knowledge and judgment, is a precise love. It's a love from heaven. It's, it's different than the mushy love we think about on this earth. Uh, I could get in a lot of opinions on a whole lot of people that... that when, when they say love everybody, that sounds very good, but it's not in, in the right way that they mean that. It, we're not loving someone if we overlook their eternal destiny of hell. We're never, we're never loving anyone when we don't share the love of Jesus with them. If we're not careful, though, our freedom in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ applied with the wrong attitude will do more damage than good. It can cause other Christians to fall spiritually. Many Christians have chosen not to do things that they could freely do, that they have knowledge it's okay to do, but they have chosen not to do that based on the knowledge of a dear loved one in Christ who truly, sincerely believes that it's spiritually wrong. Uh, there was someone in a, in a youth group one time, and, and there was talk among the kids in the youth group. I mean, there was a real popular thing going around. People were doing, and they were calling it in the category of this questionable thing. And one member of that youth group came to their youth pastor, and they said, I want to know what you think about it. 
And, and that youth pastor could tell the sincerity of the person. And they said, well, since you're asking sincerely, uh, I, I disagree with it. I, it would grieve uh, me for someone to, to do that. I think it's wrong. That's what the youth pastor said. And, and that teenager is long gone from the youth group now, an adult. And, and to, to their knowledge, that person hasn't done that thing for that reason. I wonder if, if that member of that youth group even knew this teaching right here. Yet they were following it beautifully and, and, and perfectly. You know, I, there's, a, there's a preacher that was trying to lead a man to Christ. And this lost man he was talking to about Christ said, Well, I think it's wrong for Christians to do this. And look, you just can't take everything and people are going to abuse things and, and some people aren't offended spiritually. But this man was supposedly truly offended spiritually at something that Christians would do. Now, now, 70 years ago, it was rare for a Christian to do it. A lot of Christians are doing it today. And yet this preacher, by his testimony, made a promise he wasn't going to, to do that anymore. It struck him in a certain way. Not saying that that's the, the, the reason or the way or a big factor in God saving this person. But that man did get saved. And that preacher lived another 50 years. And he never did that thing again for that reason. You know, we're not missing out on very much. On these questionable things. When it comes to the meat, remember what Paul said. He said... We're not the better if we eat it. In other words, you can live without it. Nothing great's going to happen for you. It's not a big deal. You could do without that. Those who went on the advice to not offend and decided to sacrifice and not eat that meat, they lived just fine without that meat. They didn't need it. As a matter of fact, their life was more fulfilled by the mark of love in their life for someone else that they did without something that was completely fine to do for the sake of another soul. They had that mark of Christ's love on their life for someone else. So for the advising of what we should do that God gave Paul, it was not to do it, if it caused a hindrance in the spiritual life of another, there's something else we can consider that helps us with this difficult subject and this dilemma we get into, and that is to focus as we do. I'll invite you to chapter 10 in verse 31. Paul says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all... To the glory of God. Something that helps us with these questionable things is what our focus should be in all that we do. Our everyday life is to exalt God. Our conversations are to, are to magnify Christ. Our business practices are to be by the Bible. So a simple question that has become a popular question in this world. It's popular everywhere. I'm afraid it's not very sincere by most people. But the question is, what would Jesus do? 
And that's a good question for us to ask ourselves in the midst of, of such a tearing about questionable things. What would Jesus do? You know, because once we've been redeemed by Christ, we're the representative of Christ. We are ambassadors, the Bible says. In Philippians 1.27, it says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. What God's children do reflects back on God. And look, we're able to make that a positive thing now. We have the power not to do if that needs to be in the situation. We are able by the power of God in our lives to represent him well. Our focus is to do all that we do to the glory of God. And that definitely helps this situation. And by the way, we've been talking about Christian to Christian so far. And this doesn't just go for Christian to Christian. This goes for the Christian to the unsaved as well. It goes for the believer to the unbeliever. And we'll start to close on that in the end of chapter 10 and verses 32 and 33. Paul says, give no offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Wow. When we think about ourselves as witnesses, we are witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are used by Jesus Christ that others might be saved. And so when we think about our work that we are privileged to in that, it's not just about our talk. We need to talk loud and we need to share the gospel. We need to open our mouths and share Jesus. But it's not just about our talk. It's about our walk as well. Many lost people are going to see us before they hear us. It's not just about turning up our volume real loud as a witness. It's about a lifestyle that is turned from worldliness. Even turned from anything that would make the lost to question us. As Paul thinks back on him being used in Thessalonica with that church. He's, he's writing to them and he's talking about when they were saved while Paul and others were there. And he says, for you remember our entrance unto you. And Paul starts talking to them not only about the message he declared but the manner that he demonstrated among them. He was talking about his talk as well as his walk while he was there. When he speaks to them of their believing that came about, he joins that with the behavior that Paul had, that he, Paul had, and the others among them. The lost are looking at our lifestyle. And though we have knowledge that this or that thing we do is okay, we've come to knowledge. We have peace and we know something is right. And, and you're tempted to say, silly baby Christian, there's nothing wrong with that. Just come around. You know, um, when we think about it, you know, the unsaved, they don't know these things at all. They, they think about questionable things. In Christianity, I, I've had it happen to me before. 
I'll go ahead and tell off. I, somebody burned a CD for me. This is like 12 years ago. And I was thinking nothing about it. But this unsaved family member says, that's wrong. You're stealing. And, and I started going, go, 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 go. I wasn't thinking about that at all. I really wasn't. I didn't connect that when somebody gave me this CD. I don't know what to make about all of that anyway. But, but you see how the unsaved... And, and, and look... We know that people are just looking to see things to use as excuses that they might not come to Christ. But nevertheless, who is sincerely offended over these questionable things? It could hinder a lost soul from coming to Christ. We can't just be a loud witness. We have to be a living witness. The message must be clear and the morals must be clear as well. And questionable things in our lives, even if we know they're okay, and, I, and I'm using that term loosely questionable things, what the world sees as questionable things, is it muddying the message for someone that they might be saved? And what, how much is it worth it? How important are these questionable things? Paul said you're none the better for it. Are we giving clarity in our witness and in our walk in these questionable things? It's not. It's not. The lost are looking as well as listening. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 2, it says, we are known and read of all men. You know, when we think about the passion that we have or ought to have for leading souls to Christ. It really makes these indifferent things so unimportant. And, and so not worth a soul not being saved. Or so not worth a Christian being hindered. If we're going to be effective with what we do. We're called to be a witness. And we need to be as effective as possible in what we do. We must think of others. The shift here in all of this was Paul turning it off of ourselves and turning it to others. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to close now, but I want to read you a little poem. It's, it's not one you could Google and find. This was a simple lady that lived in Abilene, Texas, and, uh, and kind of her ministry and a, and a Christian therapy in her life was writing poems. And, and so this lady was in the hospital. This is like in the 1950s. She's in the hospital and she hears about from the nurse about some fires in the surrounding neighborhoods. And, and, and several of the neighborhoods are on fire. And the nurse knew that she lived close by and that, and that her neighborhood did have fire in it. And, and this godly woman quickly went to the Lord in prayer right there in her hospital bed and, and said, Lord, would you please, please save my house? It, it's just temporary things. You've given me a home in heaven. But if it's okay, could you, could you spare my house? And, and I know not to be so attached to these sentimental things, but Lord, can you just protect it and, and let me not go through this? In Jesus' name, amen. And right after she said amen... She started thinking about family members who live in these neighborhoods and friends who live in these neighborhoods and fellow church members 
who live all around these neighborhoods. And she just felt sick at the fact that she had only prayed for herself and for her home. And so she laid there in her hospital bed and she grabbed her pen and her paper as she always did when she was going to write a poem and she wrote a poem titled Others. Oh, Father, help me when I pray to think of words that I should say and not to self the homage pay, but others. Help me forget to beg for me and let my thoughts for others be. And as it does seem good to thee, bless others. I'm always thinking of my good and not of others as I should. But you have always understood, bless others. You sent your son that I may know he ever did the pattern show. And thus I should my lesson know, bless others. My selfishness I now confess through Christ my prayer to thee address. And pray not only me you bless, but others. When it comes to these other things that seem to be questionable, why not think of others to come up with our answer? Why not think of others for our remedy? Aren't you glad God thought of others from heaven? Whenever we were here separated from God, sinners on this sinful earth that could not touch the holiness of God. We were separated from him and he thought of everyone but himself. And he sacrificed himself for others. He sacrificed himself so that you and I could have eternal life. By the way, God would have been perfectly righteous and just fine to not do anything. God is freestanding and he did not need to save us. Yet his great love moved him to lose his most prized possession, his only begotten son, to die for others that we might be saved. Man, I, I, I'm no contribution to this. I wish I were more. I want to be more. The word of God has made me want to be more. But, but let me ju let's just imagine this as we close. Let's just imagine that that individually in our relationship with the Lord, but also all together, even as the, a church, that would help me. I, I need that. That we decided, you know what? We have a little, we have a movement going on here. We're, we're just going to put questionable things aside. We're, we're not going to do it. We're, we're not going to let that get in the way. You know, how much does that get in the way of our unity with one another, of us being a lighthouse to this area, of us being a witness to the Lord, questionable things. Even if we can't put our finger on it, that we're hindered and hung up on something right now, just to say that we believe God will do something great if we just put these things out of the way that we can live without, that aren't necessary, that aren't needed, we're not going to be the better for them. And, and there's more energy there's more time, there's more mind, there's more heart for Jesus Christ.
and the work of his ministry. Well, we'll take it and do what the Lord would have you to do with it tonight. And it was great to be in the Lord's house. We love you and can't wait to see you Sunday. Waiting for a great blessing from the Lord in, in our services. Nolan Irvin, would you close us in a word of prayer, sir? Thank you, Father, for all those that are recovering from this.